If making a podcast has taught me anything at all, it would be that starting a podcast is the hardest thing about making a podcast. <laughs> there, there's so many outtakes of me trying to figure it out. Um, still, even this is the sixth episode and I, I still have no idea how to start a podcast. Uh, hey guys, or hello, welcome, all of that stuff. It just makes me feel like I'm trying to sound like a human being and I'm not actually being one. kind of just feels like I'm the world's worst radio host. I have no idea. That is that is not one of my giftings. So, so I guess making fun of how hard it is to start a podcast is how this episode is going to start. So I hope wherever you are listening to this right now, you are having a really, really good day. It is cold, like like winter cold here in Chicago, but I'm actually okay with it for, for the moment at least because it's usually in January when I start to deeply question why I am living in Illinois at all. Uh, but for now, I'm okay with the impending winter. And uh, oh, speaking of, I hope you guys have been enjoying the Christmas record, Christmas Collection Volume 1, as we discussed in the last episode. Even though uh, we put that record out when we did, I'm still not totally ready to be piping Christmas music through my house. Uh, but it's it's coming up really soon. I can I can feel it. Um, and I won't be listening to my Christmas record, of course. But um, I do have I have a playlist of what I consider to be the absolute best Christmas music ever. You can probably hear my daughter again in the background. Um, Iris is mostly vocal when I am recording my podcast. That's that's when she chooses <laughs> to exercise her her freedom of speech. So my so my ultimate Christmas playlist is on Spotify. I will link it in the show notes. Um, it includes just the music that I love the very most, which uh, inspired a lot of those those Christmas uh, covers that um, are part of Christmas Collection Volume One. But if you are also not choosing to listen to Christmas music just yet, I totally understand. I get it. Um, the time will come in the, in the next few weeks here. Uh, but when the time does come, I hope that you will consider my Christmas collection as part of your Christmas soundtrack. Today, I am wholeheartedly excited to debut my brand new song, Two, which is, of course, the second song in my Enneagram-inspired record. And it's the, the 18th song of 25 in my Atlas Year 2 series. So as of today, you can find Two pretty much everywhere music is. So Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon, you name it. Uh, there are links in the show notes to that as well. Uh, and you'll also hear the song debut here in just a few moments. Um, and this uh, this episode is going to be all about how uh, how two came together. So I hope uh, hope you guys enjoy hearing the birth story of my song two. But first, I'd like to welcome back my pal Chris Hewerts, who was so kind and uh, brilliantly walked us through an overview of the Enneagram and specifically the Type One in the episode all about my uh, my song One. 
Uh, please check that out, by the way, if you haven't already. Uh, I believe that it provides some really helpful context uh, for each of these Enneagram song episodes. Uh, Chris is a wonderful author, and his brand new book, The Sacred Enneagram, is out everywhere that books are. So if you are finding yourself at all curious about the Enneagram or are even an Ennea expert, I think there is so much to be gotten out of this incredible book. So I hope that you will consider it. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, of course. So go get it. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me again uh, to talk about the Enneagram Type 2. Man, Ryan, it's uh, it's great to be back on here with you. Uh, the work you're doing is is really important. Your uh, sensitivity as you're approaching these songs is is I think um really generous and and heart forward. And um, I think in particular your your work on 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 the song for Type Two is just um you are able to access the sensitivity of that. So thank you for for being so kind, so generous, so uh, so imaginative. Oh man, wow. Thank you so much for saying that. It means uh, it means the absolute world to me to hear that from you. As you were my introduction to the Enneagram several years ago now and uh, and have since become my, my Enneagram Jedi Master. So thank you so much. It's seriously, truly an honor. Uh, and I understand that you've got an Enneagram Type 2 in the room with you right now? Yes. I. Uh, it's sort of funny. Yesterday I let my, my dog, his name is Basil, uh, climb up on my desk and today he has just um, made it his mission to to sort of perch up here. So he's actually laying down on my desk right beside me and uh, <laughs> holding me accountable. And it's and it's and it's perfectly fitting because in in the early days of the Enneagram, um, the Bolivian wisdom teacher Oscar Ichaza, who brought this forward, brought two um, sets of totems, two sets of, of of Enneagrams that gave animals for 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 each of the nine points in their positive and in their, their sort of negative instinctual aspects. And for the two, it was a loving puppy. And so my loving puppy will be here um, keeping me on point and, and making sure we lock this in the right way. That's so perfect. And as you know, uh, I consulted you uh, as as the artwork was coming together for each of these nine songs, um, painted by Alicia Edigento. Um, she did this beautiful, beautiful piece of work uh, that that features that that puppy uh, totem uh, and, and a boy and a girl helping helping the puppy get a drink of water, sort of representing the nurturing and loving aspect of the type two. And what's hilarious about that is. Um... This morning, I made uh, some a cheesy omelet uh, before I came down to, to, to my office, and uh, I actually made a little bit for my dog, and instead of dropping it in his bowl or even setting the plate on the ground, I, I held the plate in front of him and let this guy eat it, and uh, I immediately thought of that artwork. Um, <laughs> I immediately great. thought of the um, the masculine, the feminine nurturing stance, um, not even letting the puppy in that drawing drink for itself, but, but holding that water out forward. <laughs> That's so awesome. So Chris, you, you have another incredible and important, uh, Enneagram two in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about Felina? Yeah. So my wife, Felina is, um, I, I mean, I, I, I say this with, with all honesty, like one of the great luminaries, you know, she spends two or three hours a day in, in, in contemplative practice and meditation. She, um, is dominant in type two, and, and she's shown me really what the, the strength of, of someone in, in two-ness is when they give themselves to their inner work, when that 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 holy will and, and that holy freedom of their holy idea comes forward and, and sort of recasts and reshapes the truth of, of reality. And so uh, 
telling Ryan earlier, you know, I have to, to, to sort of be also on point here talking about type two because I, I, I live with one and uh, I want to get this right. Don't want to have to <laughs> sort of pay for pay for, for for getting fuzzy around the edges on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, she, uh, as you said, she truly is an incredible person and soul. We've uh, called you guys friends for, for several years now and are just so grateful for, uh, for, for the friendship and um, just for the people that you guys are. And, uh, and a huge congratulations to Felina for the, the release of her book, Pilgrimage of a Soul, which just uh, came out as a revised edition. Uh, it's called Pilgrimage of a Soul, Contemplative Spirituality for the Active Life. And it's really beautiful. So um, I'll, put, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Okay, so Chris, for for those of us that either um, are unfamiliar with uh, the Enneagram and uh, the Enneagram Type Two, uh, or for those of us that just need a refresher, can you can you dive us a little deeper into what is the the Type Two? Sure. So so the Enneagram Type Two, or or Point Two on the Enneagram, as you look at that circle and as you sort of work around that circle clockwise, is is the first type that actually is is rooted and located in the heart center, the, the feeling center of, of the Enneagram's intelligence center. And, and, and we know that is true of the two. The two is is the most heart forward of all the types, the, 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 the benevolent heart of the types, the, the nurturing energy and power of all nine types. The two is the, the type that you, 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 you want in your life because the two is the embrace of all that is good in us. And, and, and this is one of the gifts of the two that they can see what is good in us. They, 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 they draw that forward because of their, their affinity to engage on every emotional plane that is tethered to, to love and, and, and even love and it's sort of rudimentary and malformed experiences. And so the twos are emotionally intelligent. In fact, it's, 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 it's very likely that if you're dominant in type two, you experience and, and feel and know somebody else's emotions better than, than they know them for themselves or can feel them for themselves. Um, if you're dominant in type two, um, this emotional intelligence actually fuels what is, is truly compassionate in you. What is, what is truly empathetic and that empathy is, is, is your fluency. Uh, folks who are dominant type two are incredibly helpful. They're, they're, they're natural nurturers. They're, they're incredibly understanding. Um, in fact, they're, they're, they're dependable, they're supportive, and, and, and they're among the most generous of, of all the types. They are, um, sometimes mistaken as, 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 um, passive, but, but there's really nothing passive about the force behind the two's strength. Because when a, a two is rooted, when, when a two is, is centered, um, like I said, the two becomes sort of the, the, the embodiment of what love and embrace looks like as it's, as it's selflessly and, and sacrificially given and given away for, for the better world, for the world that, that we all want to live in. That's absolutely incredible. And, and that idea of uh, the twos being kind of a, a force, uh, I, that, was, that was a huge inspiration behind the, the chorus lyric of the song, which is like a force to be reckoned with, a mighty ocean or a gentle kiss. I will love you with every single thing I have. So let's jump right in and listen to the song. Uh, this is the debut of my Enneagram Type 2 inspired song, which appropriately is titled 2. 
I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. I hope that you like it. And um, especially if you identify as an Enneagram type two, I hope that there is a bit of yourself in this song as well as truth. And the main hope here is that uh, this song honors the beautiful and unique type that you are and honors the, the force of love that you are into this world. Sweetheart, you look a little tired When did you last eat? Call me to make yourself right at home Stay as long as you need Tell me something wrong If something's wrong, you can count on me You know, take my heart, clean apart If it helps yours be it's okay if you can't find the words Let me take your coat and this weight off of your shoulders Like a force to be reckoned with A mighty ocean or a gentle kiss I will love you with every single thing Thank you. 
So there you have it, my Enneagram Type 2 song. I'm so excited to finally get to show you guys, and I'm going to take that whole song apart and explain every everything I chose to do in it and how it all got pieced together and uh, single out each of the layers. Um, but before we do, I wanted Chris to give us a little bit more um, depth into the, the Enneagram Type 2 and um, some of the inner workings and the and kind of the why behind uh, the, the Enneagram Type 2. Uh, I know we mentioned in, in the episode about the the one type, uh, we talked a little bit about how um, the the language of the childhood wound can sometimes be unhelpful uh, in that it assigns blame somewhere. Um, can you can you kind of give us the the understanding of what is uh, what's what's happening early on in in a Enneagram Two's life? So yeah, I I take issue with this whole notion of childhood wound for each of the types, and I, and I know that that there are classical and traditional childhood wounds that sort of help us understand. Um, where and, and when type sort of takes place or when it starts to show up in our own sort of psychological development. My sense is this, in all of our holding environments, they were inadequate. Um, our, our, our caregivers or our parent or parents weren't able to, to love us perfectly, nor were we able to receive love perfectly. And, and, and what happens is when you look at that list of the nine childhood wounds, we, we experience versions of all of those. It's just that there's one that we're more sensitive to attuned to there's one that we have a little bit more affinity with. And, and so for the two, um, that one was, was typically around, um, this notion of rejection with their protective caregiver. Now this is a, a perception. Actually it's a, it's a painful, painful misperception because what the, 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 the young boy, the young girl, who's dominant in type two were actually doing was trying to draw that protective caregiver towards themselves through nurturing love. And, and, and what's ironic about that is these, these, these young souls, these tender souls, these, these people born to be a source of, of nurturing strength of, 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 of true freedom and love in the world. were are trying to draw their protective caregiver towards them by assuming nurturing stance and relationship to them. Now, the, the protective caregiver, in, in most cases, I'm, I'm, I'm sure likely offered protection back as the way in the form of love. But that's not what the two was wanting. The two was wanting to be mirrored in this. The two was wanting to sort of have this reciprocated. And so it felt like rejection. And what it did then to the psyche of, of young folks when, when they were two, three, four or five was it caused them to double down on that nurturing stance. And in doubling down on that nurturing stance, it was one way of, of, of denying or repressing the pain of what they perceived to be rejection. And, and then what they began to do was to, to diminish and minimize their own needs. And in that diminishment of their own needs, um, they, they really began to become attuned to the needs of everyone else. Now, the truth is, is they, they simply minimized their needs. They didn't lose these needs. And so what happened was, they hid their needs in their shadow. And, um, you know, unfortunately, in, in, in some cases, then those needs would come forward through manipulation, through seduction. Um, sometimes twos would, would, would offer more of themselves. And in a, in a sense, they'd, they'd give too much of themselves away as, as sort of a push-pull to, to have their needs brought forward, to have their needs met. And that's part of the ache. That's, that's part of the the, the, the guilt and the shame here then that twos grow up with that the guilt of, of acknowledging their own needs the shame for, for asking their needs to be met and, and, and in some cases just actually acknowledging that they have needs it, it can be devastating for them because they know they know that in their 
compassion, in their empathy, um, in their, their, their heart for generosity. They're, they're here to help um, offer solutions to our needs. They're here to help us connect with, with our hearts. And, and, and this is why, why we need them so desperately in our lives. So one of the reasons we need twos in our lives is because they're so connected to their heart. They're, they're so um, rooted in that, that feeling center. They actually give us permission to explore our own hearts. They actually validate the relationships that we have with our emotional, our emotional selves. And, and this is, is really part of the power of the two. Thank you so much to Chris for spending time with us and uh, explaining a little bit more of the inner workings of the Enneagram Type 2. We'll, we'll hear a little bit more from Chris in a little bit, um, but let's walk through that song. I would love to explain where it came from and um, why I did what I did and all of that. So let's, uh, let's start taking this thing apart. So every song I've written since the the very first iPhone came out, which I believe was 10 years ago, uh, started with a, a voice memo recording of the very seed of each of these songs. So uh, what I what I did is, you know, I'll sit down at the piano or the guitar or um, have a melody in my head and I will press that record button and capture it in whatever state it is in. So um, I have thousands of these these tiny little snippet recordings as i go back i can kind of see each each of the songs i've written since uh since that first iphone came out um in in every state that they're in and before the iphone i would record onto like little micro cassette recorders and some stuff like that so i have i have a trail running far far back into uh into the very early days of my recording so so for two uh it started with this exact recording so this is this is the very first seed of uh the song that you just heard. I want to lose a red mind a pen. I want to lose a fine place <laughs> So I should mention that um, in all of these recordings, these uh, these iPhone recordings, I, I obviously at this point have zero lyrics, so I am just mumbling my way through it. So there there are no actual words in there. And I, over the years, I've just figured out my own little melody language that I'm just sort of uh, singing gibberish and but singing it with conviction, so that <laughs> it kind of sounds like there are there are lyrics in there, um, and you just might not be hearing them correctly. But as you can hear, uh, the, the song has truly taken a different shape since that. Very very initial recording. Uh, the first noticeable thing is the the guitar. Uh, it switched from guitar to piano. And then also one thing that you'll notice is that it just is really dark. Um, at least that's how it sounds to me. The guitar and that melody and those chords sound so um, almost dark and brooding. And that's, that's not exactly the mood that I would uh, ass assign with um, these incredibly nurturing, wonderful people that make up the, the Enneagram type two. But there was something deeper in there that reminded me of of the two, and I'm, I think it was the the kind of the bouncier melody on top. So even though it was over these darker chords, uh, there was something that I really liked, and also that just brought in a little bit of the 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 essence of the two, at least in in my interpretation of it. So I extracted that that vocal melody. Um, altered it quite a bit and changed a bunch of chords. And in the in the final recording, you can hear the resemblance of that, that melody that um, was in that original recording. So again, here's where it started. I want to lose red mind, a pen. And here's where that ended up. 
So the questions I'm asking myself before I write each of these Enneagram songs is what instrumentation would most fit the type and uh, most fit what, I, what I've learned about the type and, and kind of the, the general essence of the type. And so, um, as I mentioned in the song one, uh, I chose lots of different like cleaning supplies, kind of nodding to the, um, the caricature of, of, the, of the type one. Uh, but I also wanted it to be fast paced. And so different elements of the Enneagram type uh, influenced the, the decisions uh, about the tempo and decisions about the key and um, and and all that even outside of just the general mood which is also obviously vital to uh, to appropriately writing these songs and so for two I knew one thing I knew that the twos are at their best loving and warm and nurturing and and I I knew that that instrument to me was the cello. Like I felt like that's um, if I if I had to assign an instrument to the type, uh, the the two would be represented by the cello, which is warm and rich and um, just it sounds like a big hug. And so that's kind of where I started. So I I knew that from that original recording, the guitar wasn't necessarily going to be the right feeling and the right instrument for this song. So I started to write for cello and uh, that felt really, really right. And uh, of course, I called my dear friend Sharon Gerber, who you will continue to hear me talk a lot about. And I'm sure you've already heard me mention her name quite a few times as she is uh, one of my favorite collaborators. And uh, the way she plays cello is truly magical and, and and that sounds so dramatic but it's true she she has a she sings with her cello and her her voice there is is something really special and I'm so fortunate to get to keep making music with her uh, so right away I actually texted her and I said um, Sharon I'm not sure if you've you know had a chance to look at some of the Enneagram typing and we we went back and forth and I kind of explained what what each of the types look like and I uh, had her read some things and she identified as a type two. And that was the best news ever because as I was coming to the conclusion that this song needed to be uh, really, really cello driven and string driven, uh, I was I was ecstatic to hear that the that the person that um, that I love working with so much identified as a type two. So uh, which goes along with my rule, as I mentioned in the in the other episode, uh, that each of these songs, any guests that perform on these songs have to identify as the type that this song represents so uh, so for the one song you will only hear type one musicians and for this song uh, you will only hear type two musicians so my my house band <laughs> as it were for each of these songs will be made up of the of the Enneagram type that they're about so once I found out that Sharon was a two and that cello needed to be this uh, this very featured instrument, um, I also reached out to another friend of mine, uh, an, another frequent collaborator, whose name is Joanna Hui, and she is uh, amazing and, to my delight, also identified as a type two. So all of the violins that you hear are uh, played by Joanna Hui. So I was fortunate enough to kind of be coming to the conclusion that this song needed to be very, very string focused. And um, and two of my very favorite players uh, happened to identify as that type. So it just was a really helpful confirmation that that was the right direction. So that led to the musical rule of the writing of this song, which was to 
only write and record stringed instruments. So every single instrument you hear in the song is a stringed instrument of some sort. So uh, everything from obviously cellos and violins to guitars and uh, even the percussion was played on a guitar um, and uh, even my vocal cords, those are, those are chords. So those are sort of strings in themselves. And um, so I, I love the idea of that because in the lyrics you'll hear uh, the story of redemption that uh, basically the, t- the two coming to the realization that they need to unconditionally love themselves as much as they love others. And that love is, is, a, is a no strings attached kind of love. And, 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 the, and the type two is so connection driven that I loved, I loved the concept of having uh, only stringed instruments represent that and uh, kind of tie into the, to the words of the song. So as I mentioned about this song being a, a story of redemption, that's that's kind of the heart of this whole Enneagram project. I, I realized that pretty early on, that this needs to be nine stories of redemption. And so for this song, I intended it to kind of explore uh, both edges of the extremes. Uh, so there's an obsession, there's like a, an intense love, like I'll pull my heart apart and you can take the oxygen straight out of my chest, like really, really dramatic and intense, like overbearing type of love represented but then I want it to balance between intense like overwhelming love and uh, balance it with sincere and healthy love acknowledging that the the two needs to take care of themselves as I mentioned with no strings attached they need to unconditionally love themselves as well as others so no matter how uncomfortable that may be for the two I I, I wanted I wanted the character the 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 two which which the song is sung from from that perspective I wanted them to kind of come to that conclusion. So as I mentioned, the the song starts with this more obsessive love, but it ends with this unconditional love. And, uh, and so that's kind of lyrically the, the arc that I wanted to explore for, for this song. And uh, another parallel, and, and, and I'm not sure if I'll do this with each song uh, in the Enneagram series, but um, similar to one, uh, which was you hear it from the perspective of a one type, but it's actually a conversation between the one type and their inner critic. So similarly, this two song is sung from the perspective of a two, but it's actually being sung to themselves. Like they, they are the ones that should be receiving that um, unconditional love and, and come to terms with and acknowledge that their needs are are valuable and important. So I kind of wanted the song to be read and and sung from that perspective, but also work as a as a song sung from uh, the perspective of a two that's writing to uh, to to the rest of the world and explaining how they feel. So lyrically, I'm going to go through a few lines here and kind of explain the the heart behind them and the intent. So the song starts off with the lyric, "Sweetheart, you look a little tired." Sweetheart, you look a little tired. When did you last eat? Uh, which is immediately taking the focus off of themselves and putting, uh, putting the two's energy into helping someone else. And the sweetheart is supposed to kind of nod to the uh, kind of that the, the flattery uh, that that twos possess, um, and which is which is such a beautiful quality, and and like the almost like a southern charm. I wanted to kind of kind of go into uh, um, like where you you truly feel the nurturing words like right away by them addressing you in a, in a pet name. And when did you last eat? Come in and make yourself right at home and stay as long as you need. That that is again meant to kind of represent the hospitality and the and the the warmth of the two. Um, and so I like that it can be read kind of both ways. It can be read as uh, almost almost a little overbearing and also just incredibly sweet and and kind. 
which leads to the next line, uh, tell me is something wrong, if something's wrong, you can count on me. Tell me something wrong, if something's wrong, you can count on me. You know, take my heart, clean apart, if it helps you. Uh, that that's supposed to be a nod to like the antenna that the that the twos possess. They they are constantly um, searching for for other people's needs, and um, so that they can help and they can meet those needs. Uh, so I like the idea of of immediately jumping into like you look tired. So it opens up with a with a very subtle uh, comment about the the state of of another person, and then also tell me tell me if something's wrong. So even even though that person might not even be coming to them with uh with with their problems the two is sensing it and wants to wants to bring that other person love and again and i love the idea of uh being able to kind of switch it so that other person uh, can also be read as this is this is a love letter from the two to the two themselves um the song should be about uh, a, a two learning how to love themselves in a healthy way and uh how to also get what they need out of out of life and and uh uh, so it is. It is. It should be read in both in both lights uh, as a song, taking care of another, but also taking care of themselves. And the next line, you can count on me. You know, I'll take my heart clean apart if it helps yours beat. That is supposed to, um, in a less subtle way, nod to the the intensity of of the love that twos have for for others. Um, and I, I like the idea of, uh, you know, that I'll take my heart clean apart. Like you can count on me and you know that I'll do this because it's, it's who I am. It's, it's a part of me. You know, I'll take my heart clean apart if it helps yours beat. It's okay if you can't find the words. Let me take your coat and this weight off of your soul. Again, you hear like the intensity of the the love of this two, uh, and and it's okay if you can't find the words. That references whoever they're talking to being speechless, like they're not even sharing their problems. But the the two detects that there are problems and wants to fix it. And then we have the the chorus, like a force to be reckoned with, a mighty ocean or a gentle kiss. I will love you with every single thing I have, like a tidal wave I'll make a mess, or calm waters if that serves you best. I will love you without any strings attached. Like a force to be reckoned with, a mighty ocean or a gentle kiss. I will love you with every single thing. Part of what I believe uh, a, a two, an integrated two, would would look like. So, um, as Chris mentioned earlier, that, that that force of nature that is uh, that is the love of a two, uh, it can it can come out in a healthy way. And I will love you without any strings attached. So again, going back to the heart of the song, which is which is a two unconditionally loving others, but the the only way that can happen is if they unconditionally love themselves the chorus lyrics are meant to kind of bring that home and uh, uh, that's why they were repeated a few times throughout this song so in my conversation with chris um chris also talked a little bit about how to care for an enneagram too which i think relates to um, a lot of these words in the song so let's uh let's hear chris talk about what does care look like for an enneagram too 
So, so, so generally twos are, are, are constantly taking care of everyone else, um, but themselves. And, and, and I think if, if you're really, if you're really honest uh, about wanting to love the people in your life who love you the best, if you have twos in your life, you need to ask them, how do they want to be loved? Now, now this will be jarring for them at first because it's, it's hard for them to receive, um, even though they want it. They, they, they feel the guilt of, of, of sort of not being the initiator, not being the source, not being the driver of these relationships and, and what is offered in them. So sadly, they'll, they'll, they'll often just take what we give them. And, and that's dissatisfying. And, and, they'll, and they'll try to convince themselves that whatever we give them is enough. Whatever we give them is good enough. But, but they know that they're not really happy with, with our inadequate attempts. Um, and, and so don't let them enable us. Um, to not follow their lead in learning how to love, asking them how they want to be loved, how they need to be loved, and, and really holding them to the answers is going to help all of us sort of evolve and, and, and grow up and, and, and be better human beings. If you have twos in your life, you, you need to be incredibly careful not to take them for granted. Um, they, they do so much for us behind the scenes. They do so much for us that we don't know that, that we need to be done for us. And, and, and so offering appreciation is, is, is incredibly important here. Um, if you're dominant type two in your relationships, you need to be honest with your motivations. And, and, and these motivations can be devastating to your ego. If, if you see that some of them actually aren't tethered to, to true love. Um, if you're dominant type two, you need to learn to acknowledge your own needs and, and please ask us that we help meet them. Please show us and tell us how we're not meeting them. Um, a lot of us aren't as sort of emotionally in tune as you are. A lot of us don't know what we need. A lot of us don't know how to even allow ourselves to have our needs met. And, and this is one of the, the, the gifts that you bring forward. And, and then I would sort of finally say, if you're dominant type two, you, you, you really need to find this caution to not overextend yourself. Because the truth is, is so many people, they, we do need you. Um, but you, you need to set boundaries and, and your boundaries are the scaffolding on the way to, to priorities. And, and so this, this is the invitation for self-prioritization, you know, learning to say no and being okay with saying no, um, learning to love yourself, care for yourself, learning to name and acknowledge your needs is, is you setting priorities for your own psycho-spiritual health. And, and if you can't do that, then, then boundaries are the scaffolding on the way to maturity. Boundaries are the scaffolding on the way of you setting priorities. So know, so know that and, and, and be okay with that. So as I wrote this song, I, I had a few things in mind. I had um, this, uh, the wonderful interview with Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, who uh, was talking about his mom's response to like when, when tragedy was on the news. And, uh, and she said that when, when things like that occur, to look for the helpers. And if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. And I, I just love that because that, that so perfectly defines the, the two and the heart of the two. And then the other thing that I had in my mind as I wrote is the is the the old saying that you have to put on your oxygen mask first i mean the the airplane rules uh i felt like that's that's another beautiful analogy for uh for a, a healthy two um learning how to love themselves to to be able to take care of their needs and uh, to to even understand their needs because as i think chris pointed out 
twos are not necessarily in touch with their own needs, especially in the same way that they are so in tune with uh, with the needs of others and the people around them. I know exactly how the world goes, put my mask on first. No, I don't want to talk about myself, tell me where it Again, you can hear some deflecting. So even though the, the, the character here totally recognize that they need to put on their mask first, they uh, would rather not talk about themselves right now and ignore their needs. Uh, but let's actually rewind for just one second. You can take the oxygen straight out of my own chest. And you may or may not notice on that um, that oxygen line that I, I, I wanted the, the, the reverb, the, the room sound on the vocal to dry up suddenly, almost like the, the, the air getting sucked out of the room. So um, you'll hear the vocal be really, really close and intimate and tight, almost like there's no space between um, your ears and the, 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 the vocal. You can take the oxygen straight out of my own chest. And I can't remember if I mentioned in the in the episode about one, but one of the one of the things that I'm trying to do, which is kind of difficult, but it's it's really it's a fun challenge for me, is to nod to the the wings of of each type as I'm writing. So, uh, and if you're unfamiliar, a wing is the adjacent type next to you on either side. So if you are dominant in Enneagram type two, you could potentially have a, a type one wing or a type three wing. So um, on the left or right of you essentially um you you can kind of borrow some of those some of those traits of the the other types and so um i thought it'd be a fun a fun thing to do in these songs is to give like little little nods to the wings um and so the front half of each song should nod to the you know the the left wing <laughs> of the enneagram so in this case uh the two uh left wing would be a one and then uh, a right wing would be the three so for the for the one wing nod in the lyric uh is is the line I'll take my heart clean apart so obviously the the cleanliness <laughs> of that and the the very um direct and distinct part of that I liked I thought that that was just a, a really 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 subtle nod to the the one wing that the the two could potentially have and then the three wing uh, is a nod in the in that oxygen mask line uh, to put on first before helping others reference a warning specifically for twos but in in the second half of the song you'll hear that three wing nod and that's that's a total caricature nod to the the changing masks of the of the three type which we'll we'll get into later um so those are those are two small wing nods, and there there are several others that I uh, kind of organized in, like I said, the front and, and back half of the song that sort of connect to the the type that is either before or after the the song. So one of the major themes in this song lyrically is water. Uh, I wanted to use the language of water and the ocean as much as possible because as I was thinking about it, um, it felt like the perfect analogy because water is this like this beautiful giver of life type of thing but it's also this this giant powerful force to be reckoned with and even even texturally it can it can feel soft or suffocating or uh it, it has it's such a dynamic 
element. And so that felt like the, the right language. But more, more probably interestingly, uh, as I was collecting the fingerprints for this song, which is, uh, if, if you are unfamiliar, the, the fingerprints are these, these little tiny sounds that I invited my friends and family and the people that I love the most to send over to me. And um, I will be able to weave them into the fabric of, of each of these nine Enneagram songs in, uh, in, in the order of, uh, you know, my, my, my two friends get to be on my song two and my, my three friends on three and so on. But I noticed a large theme. There was a there was several sounds sent in for the the two that were water related. Um, I have uh, at least three or four different sounds of the ocean. So there seems to be like a kinship between the type two, and and water and the ocean and uh, liquid. And that, that obviously my sample size for that <laughs> for that data is very very small. Um, but I just I love that that theme kind of showed up in in all of those sounds that I was receiving from friends and family. It felt uh, again really validating for the direction and the this theme of water in my in my song. And earlier in the song, you'll hear a lyric: "I will love you with every single thing I have." I will love you with every single thing I have. Not only is that like an extreme statement, but in in the in the sense of the two. Uh, I think that they give so much of themselves that they truly are willing to give everything uh, at a certain point. And um, so I wanted to I wanted to have that contained in this song. Um, and again, as as this song is being sung to themselves, like the, the message is, I hope that they will love themselves with every single thing they have. I just want to love you, to love you, to love you. Those words are, are from the perspective of a, of a really healthy, self-aware too that um, is starting to recognize that they need to love themselves in order to love others well. So I had the incredible privilege of getting to spend some time with Father Richard Rohr. Um, Chris Hewitt's put together this uh, wonderful retreat for um, just a handful of folks that um, got to spend a couple days with Father Richard. And uh, I took a ton of notes. And so I have this uh, this notebook that I keep referring back to as I'm writing these songs because we walk through each of the nine Enneagram types. And um, something that Father Richard Rohr said, and I'm, I can't remember the exact quote or even what was said, but um, I wrote down the word privilege under the, under the type two. And so... Um, that kind of meant a lot to me because I, I feel like it is a privilege to love and it is the privilege to be loved by by twos. So um, for the two to recognize that it is a privilege uh, to love themselves is, is a, I think, a, a helpful message for, for everyone, but also I think for, for two specifically. So, so that lyric is a nod to, uh, to um, the retreat and the, the, the incredible words of Father Richard Rohr. What a privilege it is to love. So you'll you'll hear language throughout this whole song that revolve around help and serving and building and love and you can count on me. So I really wanted to um, you know the 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 two is often referred to as the helper, uh, and I I like the idea of of being able to without saying those words to to incorporate that language all throughout the song. Um, the calm waters, if that serves you best, is an example of how the word serve got used and. I had a lot of fun kind of um, pulling from that palette of words, uh, the, this, the language of service. 
And similarly, um, just the language of hospitality. So let me take your coat and come inside. And when did you last eat? And so the language of food and hospitality is, is comes through there too. So we have really three three main like lyrical themes that I kind of wanted to uh, write this song within. And that would be uh, the language of service, the language of hospitality, and the language of water. Uh, so I felt like all three of those things sort of represented the the two um, in terms of my vocabulary. And and musically, you'll notice there's a, there's a certain energy in the strings. There's a lot of staccato and spiccato played strings throughout, uh, which sound like this. that to represent the eagerness of the type two, the, um, the, the, the eagerness to jump in there and help, you know, and I, I, I thought that that was kind of a fun way to, to do that in the lyrics, that it's sort of like this, uh, this, this endless energy uh, for others. And then uh, you'll also hear that this, the strings and the instrumentation sort of slow and get stretched out and play more sustained chords. That I kind of wanted to reflect the, the the two kind of coming to the realization that they do need to give attention and uh, the same nurturing help to themselves as they give to others. So I wanted that's probably a sobering realization, uh, and I think also I've heard several times that um, uh, when twos recognize themselves in the enneagram, it can be it can be a difficult a difficult thing to kind of see yourself in uh, in this in the language of the enneagram. And that, of course, could be said of every type. Uh, as I mentioned before, my friend Chris, uh, when he first introduced me to the Enneagram, said that whichever description hurts the most is likely who you are. And uh, and it, that's, that is not a fun way to enter into... Uh, <laughs> any any sort of reading material, but um, it is it is I think a really important uh, step forward in in finding the the strength and beauty of of your type. For the two, I wanted that realization to have a little bit of that somber um, that somber feeling. So once the two is steps away and and kind of um, gives the attention to themselves and puts on their oxygen mask first, that's that's probably a difficult process, and I imagine it being a really uh, uncomfortable thing. So I wanted the, the strings and the, the music and the instrumentation to sort of represent that uh, after all of this, you know, energetic, staccato, spiccato uh, type of strings. So the final lyric of this song is, I will love you without any strings attached. I will love you without a single string attached. That's the most important lyric of the whole song because it's the it's the character finally reaching a level of self-awareness that allows them to um, to care for themselves and to unconditionally love themselves, which which gives them the ability to truly unconditionally love others. Um, so that's kind of the that's the the redemption at the end of this uh, this two inspired story. So musically, that should sound that should sound triumphant and uh, and hopeful.
so that's kind of what I wanted the music to do. I wanted it to tell the story. So it starts off with a, with like a warm invitation uh, with those piano chords and the opening. And then I want the, the eagerness to help and uh, that to be reflected in those strings. And then uh, the big chorus of realization and, and hope and um, kind of have this, uh, this, this larger epic quality that reflects the force of nature that um, the, the the love of the two is and uh, then also the somber sustained strings that sort of are the the, the realization of, uh, of figuring out that you you are indeed um, in need of uh, in need of the same help that you're offering to other people so those are kind of the moods and the and the tones that um, that I was trying to reflect in in the music of the song And so let's talk about each of the the fingerprints that my my friends and family were so sweet and kind enough to send over to me. Uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, fingerprints are tiny, tiny sound recordings of literally anything. Um, that's the invitation to uh, to my friends and family is to send me the sound of literally anything. It could be their backyard, their um, the sound of their commute to work, the the sound of them uh, playing an instrument, whatever it is, and I will manipulate that sound and work it into the, the, the fabric of, of each of these Enneagram songs. So it truly is one of my absolute favorite parts about writing these songs is to, to get to incorporate a little tiny piece of the people that I love so much. Um, so let's run through each one and I will single them out and, um, and explain uh, and, and display the, these magnificent fingerprint sounds that my, my friends and family have sent in. So let's start with the the musical end of the of the fingerprint spectrum. Um, I invited my my friend Lisa Gunker to sing uh, this little melody in the in the very center of the song, and she did so absolutely stunningly. I I, I love this. It's one of my favorite parts of the song. <laughs> Next is my dear, dear friend, Matt Mugford, who was kind enough to lend me a, a little bit of guitar playing. Matt's somebody that I've, I've known and loved for, for many years. And one of my favorite memories with him was um, back uh, when, when the movie Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 came out, uh, I got to go play these uh, concerts, these I think two or three different um, small little pop-up shows with some of the cast of, of Twilight as well as uh, a few of the, the musicians on the soundtrack. And it was so fun, but um, Matt was kind enough to come along with me and and play guitar in uh, in my very short two-song set at each, each of these shows. So I love the idea of having him play some guitar on uh, this song uh, for his type, the type two. And then I have my friend Patrick Dot, who is just an awesome dude and um, an incredibly talented person who plays multiple instruments. So I had him play a little bit of guitar and a little bit of mandolin, and then I also had him play the rubber band, <laughs> all, all again, of course, in line with uh, the rule of only stringed instruments. I don't know why, but I love that rubber band sound. I pitched it quite a few times, um, so you'll hear several octaves of a rubber band, but it kind of makes this like a, this weird percussive note. Mm -hmm. 
and I had my dear friend Jacob Marshall play um, a little bit of percussion towards the end of the song. It was played um, by my request on uh, on the guitar. I asked him, "Is there any any percussion instrument you could play that is somehow related to the strings?" And so we uh, uh, we decided that the guitar would make the most sense. So he uh, he banged on the guitar and on the guitar strings, and that's what make up this percussion. But um, Jacob's an incredibly talented drummer uh, and just a, just a great person. Uh, he's been a friend for a long time and has been kind enough to join me on tour as my drummer for um i believe a couple tours now and uh he plays with the band may and uh, uh they're awesome so i was honored to get to uh to get to have him uh add his fingerprint to the song The song opens up with a sound, and I'm not sure if you can make out what it is. Um, I'm sure you have some guesses, but um, it was sent in by my friend Gavin Bennett, and he uh, he had the great idea of recording the sound of him making the bed. He's uh, he's an incredibly hospitable person, and thought that that would be a. Uh, a, a fitting sound to add as a fingerprint. So I love that idea and um, kind of in connection to the, the idea of nodding to the, the wings of each type, I thought that that beautifully starts off the song as a transition point between the, the type one and the type two. So we have the, the cleanliness of making a bed, but then um, which, re, which relates to the type one. And then we also have the hospitality of, the, of making a bed for someone else, which is, which is of course the, the type two. And then we have some sounds from my mom, who not only is an incredible mom, and I've said it before, but um, all of the good that is in my life, I can trace back to decisions that she made and, and how she raised me and, and um, how she chose to to love me and my brother. And um, so she she is the two in my life that is uh, that obviously I'm I'm closest to, and uh, um, I feel so privileged to have a mom that is uh, that is an enneagram two. Uh, because truly all of those beautiful qualities and uh, incredibly loving and nurturing and unconditional qualities, I've gotten to see that firsthand from from my own mom. And so that um, that provided a really beautiful context for writing this song um, because I have a, 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 a subject to study <laughs> and a life a lifetime's worth of examples of, of the, the the Enneagram 2 through my mom. So um, but on the, on the same time, it was very, very challenging to write this song. And it's actually uh, I think I'm finding as I'm writing each of these Enneagram songs, it's hard to write a song that encompasses an entire type rather than uh, the one person person that you're extremely close with uh, that represents that type. So um, I wanted this song to honor my mom and honor the, the, the beautiful qualities of, of her as well as the, um, the Enneagram type two. But um, I wanted to make sure that this was written to all type twos as well. And so my mom, who is also my manager, she's an incredibly helpful support. So um, the, the, the good that I've been able to do in my career has been um, hugely uh, thanks to to thanks to my mom, so um, it's it was really special to get to have some of her sounds and her fingerprint on the the backdrop of this song, which I hope uh, honors her and all Enneagram twos. The first sound that she recorded was the sound of her playing with her granddaughters, who happened to be my daughters. Which I definitely think is uh, <laughs> is very much like a two to uh, to to give a sound of, of somebody else and not necessarily themselves. 
But I asked her for an additional sound too. So she sent in the sound of the Pacific Ocean as heard from um, the hotel room on uh, Waikiki Beach, which is uh, a place that has meant a lot to my family and I. So it is the Pacific Ocean, which again ties into the theme of water and, and the ocean in the song. And then, as you uh, as you heard us mention in the beginning of the podcast, uh, I have Felina Hewitts, who sent in the sound of ocean breathing, which again ties into that ocean theme. And I also love that it ties so perfectly into her and her contemplative life. So um, this is a, a uh, I believe, a yoga breath that is um, meant to, uh, you're supposed to emulate the sound of the ocean in, in your breathing. And I, I love, I, I thought that was such a perfect, perfect addition to this song. The next fingerprint sound is from Chris and Felina Hewitt's dog, Basil, <laughs> who identifies as a dog Enneagram type two. <laughs> and now we have my, my sweet friend, Kimberly Quo, um, who sent in the sound of these beautiful, beautiful owl. Um, I don't know if it's multiple owls or one, but I just love this sound. So you can hear it right in the center of the song. It kind of uh, flutters in and out of, uh, of that middle verse. And um, I just love, love this sound. The next sound is from uh, a longtime family friend, uh, Katie Alvarez, who I actually grew up with. And she was sweet enough to send the sound of her little boy laughing. And I, I just love, love the sound. So you'll hear it a few times throughout. Um, and I feel like that that joyful sound was, was a fun thing to work into the choruses, which are also supposed to be kind of joyous. So here is Katie's son, Mauricio, and his contagious giggles. Next is from my sister-in-law, Asha Belson. Uh, she was sweet enough to send over the sound of the rain falling over in Wichita, where she lives. Which again, I will note the water theme. And the next sound is from another sweet, sweet family friend. This is from Jen Holstein. Uh, it's the sound of waves crashing in uh, Maui. Uh, and so she, she sent this sound in to, to honor the life of her mom and um, to also represent the, the oceans in which uh, her mom swam in and uh, where, where Jen and her family swim in on vacation as well. I love the sound and I love the meaning behind it and I'm so honored that she chose to send it and allow it to be in the, the, the fabric of the song. And the next sound is sent in from my, my dear friend Casey Truman. Uh, it is the sound of her cat Scooter purring and I love it. It's so sweet. And then we have a sound from my friend Beth Bricken, who was sweet enough to record a tiny little um, clip of her talking and kind of explaining how it feels to be a two. Not to save, but to come alongside. And that for me has been huge and kind of finding my balance. So in addition to that little amazing clip that I pulled out of uh, what she sent, I also made like a little a little background pad noise um, out of pitching her voice uh, on one single note, which sounds like this. Mm -hmm. 
And this sound was sent from my friend Audra Langford Alexander, and um, she sent the sound of exhaling, which I thought was an awesome choice. Uh, so uh, you'll hear it right after the instrumental break, um, and this this exhales right into the words. I know exactly how the rule goes, so it's almost like, ugh, okay. And uh, here it is in the context of the song, which kind of just sounds like this wish. I know exactly how the and then we have a sound sent in from my, my pal Amy Jones, uh, and it is the sound of uh, clinking glasses used. Uh, it's in the last chorus, and it's pitched actually to tiny notes. So here's the original sound, and here's the, the pitched version. And uh, those are meant to represent like cheers. And the last sound is sent from my awesome friend Stacy Tukey. She was kind enough to send the sound of her warming up. She is a choreographer and dancer. And um, uh, so she sent the sound of her warming up, which felt like the perfect sound to end on. So as the as the two song ends, you'll hear this sound, um, which is I thought was a really fun way to segue into the next type, which is three, uh, which is a very performance driven type. So I like the idea of a, of, a, of a dancer warming up as the bridge or segue in between the two song and the three song. So to every single one of those wonderful people that were sweet enough to send me these little fingerprint sounds, thank you so, so, so much. It means the world to me to be able to represent you and to include these little sounds um, into into this song, which I hope will uh, will so, sing some sort of truth or, or justice to the, the type two for, for each of these wonderful people. So now that you've heard the song and we've pulled it apart and we've uh, we've talked things through, I would love to have Chris come back and uh, just give a little bit more information and more insight into the the Enneagram Type Two. So when you look at the the the, the typical character structure of, of somebody who's dominant in Type Two, like if if you've taken an Enneagram test or, or you have somebody in your life and you know that you're a two or you love someone who's dominant in Type Two, and you start to read these components, you'll see that. The, the, the traditional passion is, is referred to as pride and the traditional fixation is referred to as flattery. Now, now, now we have to remember that the passion is, is, is our emotional ache. It's how our soul thirsts to reconnect with the loss of being. And our fixation is how our mind convinces our heart that that ache, that that sort of coping technique is, is actually legitimate. And when you get this passion fixation loop sort of set in place, it, it, it can become really addictive. And, and it's in that addiction where we, we are destroyed. So for the two, this, this word pride, I, I think, is, is, is a little hard to sort of make sense of. Because generally, if, if you're dominant type two, if you have friends who are dominant type two, these are not arrogant people. In fact, they are some of the most humble and in, in the strongest notion of what that means, folks, out there. I, I think the, the, the word that's better or more accurately sort of reflective of the passion of the two is self-abnegation. It's, it's, it's that they give themselves away at their own expense, that they, they pour themselves out and, and they do this in a way that's, that's really, um, in some cases, self-destructive. Well, the fixation of flattery isn't that they're flattering us through, through their heart forwardness. It's that they're first flattering themselves. They're convincing themselves that what they've given away is actually, it's actually legitimate and, and, and they should continue to do that. And, and so this is how they get stuck. I, I like to, to sort of 
illustrate this with the story of the giving tree from from Shel Silverstein. It's a, a children's book about an apple tree and, and this little boy in, in this tree. She just loves this child so much. And so the child comes and, and, and climbs on her trunk and, and swings in her branches. And 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 at the every after every little snapshot of the interaction between this giving tree and this little boy, the last line of every page says, and the tree was happy. So the boy grows up and he comes back and 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 he wants um, some money and 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 he wants something to eat and he wants a home and you know after each one of these interactions the tree gives of her apples and then she tells herself she's happy she gives of her branches and then she tells herself she's happy the boy comes back and he's a man now and he's sad he he needs to get away from his life and so the trees. She's she's aching for him. She's feeling his pain and she says, I can't, I can't go with you. I can't take you anywhere, but cut down my trunk and, and turn me into a boat. And so the boy cuts down the trunk of the tree, um, turns it into the hole of a ship and sails away. The boy stays away for a long time and, and the tree is sad. And, and you see this in the the, the, the the gentle words of this little this little folktale. And at the end of the book, the, the boy comes back, an old man, and now the tree is devastated because she has nothing left to give. And she says that to the boy. She says, I have no apples for you to eat. I have no shade for you to sit in. I have no branches for you to climb in or take. I have no trunk for you to, to lean against. Um, all I am is a lowly stump. And the old man says, look, all I have are these busted knees and this bad back, and all I need is a, a place to sit. And the tree says, sit on me. And then it says, and the tree was happy. And, and you know, we grew up loving this story because that's what we think love looks like. But in fact, that's disgusting. And if any of your relationships look like that, get out of them as soon as possible. Because that tree's self-abnegation and her flattering herself because of it only fuels entitlement. And, and you see, if, if you're dominant in type two, that's that's one of the ways that that you don't take your power back is, is by doing for us what we need to do for ourselves. Um, by, by, by doing too much for us and, and, and doing this in a way that really creates deeper aches in your, your heart because, you know, the, the, the basic fear of the, of the two is that they're, they're disconnected from the source of love, that there may be not love for who they are, but, but they're afraid they might be loved for what they give. And if you're afraid that your love for what you give, then you'll continue to give more and more of yourself away at your expense, flattering yourself that that's what real love looks like when in fact that, there's nothing loving about that because you're, you're not loving yourself. And if you don't love yourself well, you'll, you'll never be able to, to love us well. So I think I'll leave it here. Um, I'm going to uh, play the song one more time for you guys now that you've kind of heard a little bit of how it was pulled together. Um, but before I do, I'm going to let Chris um, give uh, give some words of encouragement to uh, the Enneagram Type 2s. So so at the end of this conversation here, Ryan, um, if, if you're dominant in Type 2, I, I think part of your inner work is is considering what's been lost in your attempts to be seen or loved. And I think for you to be honest about what you've given up at your expense is is something that you can you can come to terms with in terms of grieving it and and, and aching that and, and feeling the pain of that because when you see that and acknowledge it you you grow in your own strength and you learn how to love from a position of strength not a, a position of weakness. You you need to know this so that that you are loved that that you're wanted and that you're needed. And you're loved and wanted and needed just by being yourself. This is your strength. The assertion of your will 
is, is your power. And in fact, the, the more you love yourself, the, the more you're capable of, of knowing how to love us. We're, we're grateful for our twos. You're a healing presence in the world. You show the rest of us how to connect with our hearts, how to find our own strength and power in our wills. And, and, and letting us be us um, is, is really the fruit of you integrating the emotional core of your essence. And, and for you to be able to connect with your essence allows us to see what that can look like. And so for twos, um, you know, I, I, I suggest that that's consenting to solitude. That's finding that time alone to explore the gifts of who you are when you're not giving yourself away. Because when you can know the truth about yourself, that is when you will find all that it is you have to offer. And, and there's a lot there. And, and so don't cheat yourself and, and, and don't cheat us. Sweetheart, you look a little tired When did you last eat? Call me to make yourself right at home Stay as long as you need Tell me something wrong If something's wrong You can count on me You know, take my heart Clean apart if it helps yours be it's okay if you can't find the words Let me take your coat and this weight off of your shoulders Like a force to be reckoned with A mighty ocean or a gentle kiss I will love you with every Take the oxygen straight out of my own chest I know exactly how the rule goes Put my mask on first
All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I truly am so grateful that you would take the time to uh, not only listen to the song, but also to uh, to be curious about how it came together and um, why I sang what I sang and, and how I uh, chose to interpret the, the Enneagram Type 2. So I hope, uh, hope that you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. And a huge thanks again to Chris Hewitts for uh, spending some time with us talking about the Enneagram. Um, I'm so looking forward to showing you guys the next song, which is going to be three. Uh, but before that, I think I'm going to do an episode on my original Christmas song, Snow, which will come out in uh, in a little while. So looking forward to sharing uh, how that song came together as well. Uh, thank you so much again. Uh, I don't know how to end a podcast either. So <laughs> uh, goodbye. Scars are tightly like yours under trees Christmas light